In a world where people are famous for doing nothing, we're here to discover the ordinary individuals who take giant leaps to do something extraordinary. Welcome to Moving Forward. Hello everyone, this is John Lim with Moving Forward and today I am excited to be interviewing Mr. Griff Hall. Griff is a principal at Griff Hall Strategic Leadership Consulting and Coaching, which you can find at nowleadon.com. I love that URL. Based in the greater Maryland area where he focuses on leadership development and strategic planning. Griff has worked with over 1,000 clients, including students, executives, and grassroots leaders. Prior to this, Griff served as a chief executive on several regional and national organizations. Griff is also a senior professional instructor and curriculum committee member at the Johns Hopkins Carey Business School, where he teaches graduate courses in competitive strategy, leadership, creative business thinking, and the Capstone Practicum Program. Good morning and welcome, Griff. Thank you so much for joining us today. Good morning, John, and thank you. How are you? I'm doing great this morning. As of the recording of this podcast, we just came through quite a snowstorm. How did you fare over the weekend? Well, fortunately, I'm okay. Um, but one of the, it, um, as I was uh, just mentioning, the um, I just in my travels this morning was able to assist in a um, an accident with somebody who oh, obviously no. hit a uh, small patch of ice, and it just was a uh, an instant reminder that sometimes your day can change, and you never know. Fortunately, this young lady was okay. Oh, thank goodness, everyone was okay. Well. Thank you so much, Griff. I'm glad you could join us today and take time out of your busy schedule. Sure. Well, Griff, I've only touched on a little bit about your background and your extraordinary experience, and I'm sure our listeners would love to learn more. So would you care to fill in what I like to refer to as the life and professional resume and tell us a little more about yourself? Sure. Thank you, John. Um, well, first of all, thanks again for having me here. It's uh, it's, it's an honor and a pleasure uh, to be on your show. The um, I guess the thing that I would add to to my professional background is uh, one of the things that has really been a joy in my life, both in teaching in the strategy and leadership uh, areas, really comes down to the word freedom. And I think of those two subjects as allowing people to basically unlock and be free uh, to do whatever it is they're trying to do. And in my own life, I see that a lot because I am a uh, self-avowed water rat. And I love being on the water. And most of my water experiences have to do with being self-propelled, <laughs> whether, <laughs> whether it be on a sailboat, a uh, paddleboard, a kayak, a canoe, or something like that. And to me, being on the water is, is a form of freedom, too. So I kind of think of that as, uh, as maybe an underpinning or maybe a theme throughout uh, my professional as well as uh, personal life. And um, so I would say, you know, the filling in that, uh, there's a lot that you mentioned, uh, a lot of uh, things that I've been fortunate enough to be part of, but along the way, there's also ups and downs, and I think uh, I've been very fortunate enough to be able to experience some of those things and, and be able to learn from them. So, you know, all that's a little bit general, but I think uh, the underlying thing is uh, really freedom to help people and, and freedom to, to do uh, what your what your goals are. Well, Griff, I love that. I love, first of all, that the underlying theme is freedom. I think that's something that will resonate with a lot of people who may be listening to this or maybe searching for that in their own lives. And I didn't know that about you, that you have such an affinity for boating and the water, but it makes perfect sense when you think about it just having that passion for freedom ties in so directly with your love of the water. 
Well, Griff, you may have already answered this question, but I'm going to dig a little deeper and ask, so what are you passionate about and how did you discover that passion in your life? Well, I started my uh, my business in 2007, in really October 2nd of 2007. And I did that at a point in my life where I'd, I'd really already held three uh, different chief executive uh, positions. And the next step might have logically been to look for a bigger organization or, or something to that nature. And I chose at that time to be an entrepreneur because it's something that I can remember wanting to do at an early age. And for one reason or another, I, I chose the different paths that were not that necessarily. But I basically decided to bet the farm and go for it. And so what I'm passionate about is really following your your path and your direction. And for me, that is really, I would, I would really summarize it in, I love to help people learn. And sometimes that's a form of teaching. Sometimes it's a form of coaching. It can be facilitation. It can even be consulting. But I get the greatest joy out of seeing people learn and grow. And the way I put that together is that it's not enough to do that, but I think to do that with love is a very important part. Not something that men typically talk about, but something I think think is essential. So for me, I'm passionate about helping people learn and to do that with love. Well, Griff, thank you so much for sharing that. I think there are a couple of things that you brought up that are very powerful. The first sort of calls back to what you were talking about earlier with that underlying theme of freedom. And it sounds like you had that moment, that fork in the road where you were already at the sea level and you could have continued on that path. But something inside of you told you to take that risk and I remember being a student in your class, and I remember you took time out of the class. It wasn't, it wasn't even a lecture. You just gave us a very inspirational talk. And I remember you were telling us in class about the dangers of trading time for money, of just allowing yourself to run the clock out until you retire in the same career, whether you're progressing or not. And that was a very, very pivotal moment for me. And that was actually the first time I had actually heard the phrase, trading time for money. And I've since heard it from other entrepreneurs. I've read it in, in many books, uh, you know, from Robert Kiyosaki and John Lee Dumas. So that was a very important moment for me to shift my mindset and to begin thinking about other possibilities. So it sounds like you've really been able to take your passion from an early age and really cultivate that into a career. And I love the second part of your answer, and with love. And I think in the business world, that's something that so many people are, are uncomfortable thinking about, much less talking about. But coming from a place of genuine compassion, I think those two takeaways are so important in terms of helping someone find their passion and give them that push to pursue their passion in life. So thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, my pleasure. Well, Griff, can you share, and, and we're going to explore a little bit more about pivotal points, but can you share with us a time in which you failed or faced a great, what seemed like insurmountable challenge, but that ended up being a great learning moment for you or was part of your road to success? Sure. I am uh, lucky enough to have a very vast portfolio of those kinds of experiences. <laughs> I, think, I think if you're an entrepreneur, it sort of comes with the territory. <laughs> well, it does. And even before that, I think there's a theme. But there's a couple that really stick out to me. And, and one of them was a position I accepted. Uh, this is going back earlier in my career. So this is about the mid-90s. And um, I accepted a, uh, a chief executive and executive director position at a nonprofit. 
And the failure that I did in that was not recognizing that I was the wrong person and I didn't mm. ask the right questions going into this. And so as a result of that, I had looked at the uh, financial statements. I looked at the audit um, and it was a pretty um, – I guess, critical or pivotal point in my life because when I accepted this position, it was um, early spring, let's say about April. I started that position like in on May 7th and um, I was due to get married to my wife on uh, on July 6th. So things were really happening at a pretty fast pace in many, in many ways. And I kind of thought things were great because I accepted this new job. I was going to be an executive director. And boy, I got my first statement. I'll never forget this. So I'd started like May 7th. And um, probably about two weeks later, I got the first monthly statement from March. And it quickly dawned on me that we were an insolvent organization. Oh, my goodness. And I hadn't seen it. I knew there were financial problems. And I knew there were financial challenges. And I had had the audit, and the problem is Warren Buffett often says audited statements are the worst, and I quickly got a quick lesson in that <laughs> um, because I had depended on that, and, um, and, and that was just the first step. So it was very clear that in six weeks, I couldn't meet payroll. I didn't oh have enough wow. money, and you know, we didn't have a huge staff, but we were about a staff of 14 or 15 people. And, you know, people's lot, you're dealing with people's lives essentially sure. at that point. And as a brand new chief executive, um, I was way in over my head. <laughs> so um, I had to quickly figure out what to do. And, and some of the lessons that I learned in that were invaluable. There are also lessons I don't wish to repeat. <laughs> so sure. um, the, um, but the bottom line is, you know, I had been through uh, business school. I'm a Cary graduate, and nothing I had studied prepared me for the emotional turmoil of realizing for the first time that your organization is insolvent. You accepted this position. You were enthusiastic about it, and you thought you could make a difference, and you don't have enough money to meet payroll. So um, it was – the challenge quickly shifted, and it was how can we survive through the summer? And all of the negotiations, I mean, I just had to go through everything and realize, you know, what can we do with our rent? We lucked into some things. Um, for example, the building that we were in was being sold and, and the, uh, the, land, the, the owner who was selling it wanted to make sure, obviously, they had as, as full of a rent as they could. And I went to him. I said, look, it, you know, we might be one of your casualties, but we might not be if I can renegotiate this. So, so we did. And, um, and, and we renegotiated a lease that was basically front loaded and saved us some cash through the summer. I did everything I could to save cash and, um, and we made it, you know, we, we made it and about a year of that and I was through, it was not my cup of tea. I love the challenge, but one of the other things Aside from the financials, I wasn't fit for the culture, and I didn't ask and I didn't ask the right questions. This was an advocacy organization, and I had really had a lot of experience with more provider organizations. Um, in my personal life, I'm the oldest of uh, three. All of us are brothers, and my two younger brothers uh, both have developmental disabilities, and my youngest brother has a um, 
uh, hearing loss as well. So I've really been throughout my life tuned in to the, those who provide services. And so to be on the advocacy side is, uh, and, and really to be holding the providers accountable, if you will, and trying to advocate for for accountability process, that, that's all very necessary and very different ilk also from the way I'm built. And I didn't see that coming in, and I should have. Um, so I really, at the end of a year, you know, we had made it past the insolvency. We didn't have to file bankruptcy. Um, no, by no means were we out of the woods, but we certainly were able to uh, poke our head above the water. And I said, I got to get out of here. I'm just not right for this organization. Um, I don't fit. I'm, it's not me. Um, so I did. I left. And, uh, you know, about a year and a quarter into that. So great lesson for me. Um, great lesson in, you know, basically be awake when you go in. <laughs> and it's really transferred into one of my mantras now. Uh, but be, stay awake. And and be awake when you when you come into a situation like that. So that was kind of my um, my real. It was a failure on my part to really be awake as to what I was walking into and to assess whether I was the right person. And and I failed on both counts there. Well, Griff, thank you so much for sharing that. Well, a couple of important takeaways that I got from that. Number one, just asking questions. And I think it's something that comes to us so naturally when we're younger, but as we progress in our careers, it's something that we forget to do. And it's it's almost like a muscle that you have to exercise. And it is so critically important. I know there are times in my life, in my professional career, where I haven't asked the right questions and I've made the wrong decision because of it. So that is so pivotal. And thank you so much for sharing that. The other thing that you mentioned, which I love, is be awake. Mm. It's very simple. It's very direct. And I think it's something that people can just sort of remind themselves to do every single day. And in fact, it calls back to what you were talking about earlier about uh, helping with that car accident. I mean, what better example of a day-to-day lesson of just the importance of being awake? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. They're all the lessons are all around us if we're awake. <laughs> well, Griff, can you expand a little bit about how you apply those lessons in your current career or in any past positions that you've held? One of the things that I um I do now is is really it's it's centered on awareness and it you are exactly right, John, when you say it's a muscle it's a discipline. It's not easy. It's not always necessarily enjoyable. But to take that time to really center yourself, um, for a lot of people that shows up in different ways, but whether it's meditation, whether it's prayer, whether it's quiet time, that to me is even more essential today than even than than perhaps any time at any time in history because of all that is available to everybody. And if you're not careful, you'll be sidetracked by the shiny object that all of a sudden you get to and you're like, well, is this it? Is this all there is? And so I think that to me is a, a thing that I try to, to practice and to, to really make sure that if I'm jumping into something, am I awake? And I think also in uh, in my point in in my career so I'm a baby boomer and and so I've been around for a while and I've been lucky enough to be able to study leadership and strategy and many other things that I truly love and the be awake part to me is sometimes when you get really familiar with a subject you 
become detached from what it's like not to know that. Hmm. And the be awake part is to me kind of keep that beginner's mind set, which again is a muscle, like you said, in a discipline. But what is it like not to know this? And for me, working with different clients, that's a, um, a constant challenge that I love is to be able to put myself into their shoes and to not necessarily have all the background in the research or the readings or experience or what have you. But what is it like? Uh, if I didn't know this, how would I be approaching this? And again, just to, to practice that awareness to uh, whatever might be going on personally within the market. I mean, there's so many market lessons that are available to us every day that signals and so forth that we miss, even as a, as, as a, uh, a private, you know, a, a, a mid-market or a smaller or even larger company. We can often miss those, and in, in a number of my clients are in the healthcare field. So those signals are not only all over, but equally very confused. So there's no clear path as to what to do. And that ability to sort of assess, plan, reevaluate really has a fundamental, um, to me, theme of being aware. What's around here? What's going on? What are the trends that are going on? And how do I want to position um, our organization or myself for that? Well, Griff, I love that takeaway. And I remember this from your leadership course, where we looked at leaders in various organizations, whether they be in, in the corporate world or in the military, and the distinction between those leaders that make really bad decisions and the ones that make really smart decisions. A lot of it comes down to that very simple lesson of just being awake and being able to ask yourself questions and not just get to the point where you're just doing things on autopilot and surrounding yourself with different points of view. And I remember that part of just looking at these leaders, many of whom were so intelligent, so well accomplished, and with so many experiences. And it comes down to just reminding yourself that you have to ask yourself questions. And I think we saw that in a lot of the books that we read and certainly in the film 12 Angry Men. So I think that's a critical, critical lesson. It really is. I think paying attention to how you're feeling and the energy that you have around something is, I think, part of being there is part of, you know, when you find, you know, people often ask me, how do you find your passion? And, and the answer is simple and very difficult. It's spend time doing it. Yeah. And spend disciplined time doing it and spend time reflecting and spend time, like you said, asking questions. And, but none of that can happen unless you devote some time. And that's the first thing. Well, Griff, thank you so much for sharing that. Well, we're going to dive a little bit into influences. And the next question is a two-part question. The first part deals a little bit with pop culture. And is there a movie, a book, a song, or a play that has been greatly influential in your life. Sure. Well, uh, you may remember this, John, but one of my all-time favorite books is A Team of Rival mm -hmm. by Doris Kearns Goodwin. I happen to have the good fortune of seeing her speak as that book was just published, and I was incredibly impressed with her. This is a woman who has uh, a brain trust that could fill volumes, and for 45 minutes, I thought, when I saw her, she kind of took this big breath at the beginning and exhaled and just basically spit out all this stuff that was back in, in back of, of, of really writing that book. And she seemed not to take a breath because she's really just you know quick 
and 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 had a lot to get through. And I thought, oh my gosh, if I don't read that book, that's gonna. I, I just have to. And then when I did, um, I thought there. You know, I love the field of leadership, and I'm also I love history and being able to put that in context. And as she said, she spent ten years essentially with Lincoln, um, at, with the good grace and understanding of her husband, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that uh, studying him, she said, why write a book when there's already more than a thousand books written about him? And she said, what I found was a treasure trove of letters and diaries from the people around him, about him, and nobody had written from that perspective. So that very simple concept often is at the heart of change. And that was a, an inspiration that I heard from her in her talk was, you know, what's a different perspective? And that, of course, comes from asking questions. And she happened to find a, she was actually going to write a book about John Adams. And she found all these things um, around in the, uh, in the library about people like uh, William Seward and so forth who had written um, all kinds of letters to and about Lincoln that she thought, why can't I, I I've got to do this. So um, she just kind of led where her passion followed her. So that's one of my favorite books really, uh, of, of all time. I'm not a big movie watcher, so, um, you know, it, it <laughs> Despicable Me and all those are things that, uh, that are resonating with me because my, my daughters are 12 and 14, so that's the, uh, that's the extent of my, my, uh, my high culture in, in movies. But I think if, no, if, you, if I had one book to read on leadership, that's the book I would read, and A Team of Rivals. It's, it's on my list. I have my copy of it. And also, this was also the film on which the movie Lincoln was, was based on, which was exactly. a couple of years ago. Yeah, that was a very good, very good film. Excellent film. And it just ties back into what you were talking about earlier about being awake and asking a lot of questions. Hey, Moving Forward listeners, if you're enjoying today's episode, consider supporting the podcast. You can purchase a copy of the Corporate Clichés Adult Coloring Book or try out Amazon Prime or Audible using one of my affiliate links, which you can find in the write-up for any of the episodes at bemovingforward.com. Griff, second part to the question. Is there a person that you have connected with in your life that has left a lasting impression in terms of you finding your career and your life's passion? Yeah, there are actually there's there's two pivotal points, and and the first one is I happen to have um, the great fortune of working for a mentor who's been incredibly influential in my life, and this was early in my uh, my career as a, a nonprofit uh, uh, executive, and I went to work for an organization that. Um, serves individuals with developmental disabilities. And as I mentioned before, I sort of have a background in that because I have two brothers with developmental disabilities. And I thought, you know, I really want to get in. I want to do something. And so I, um, I came across um, a volunteer, uh, uh, through a volunteer uh, effort, and then I started working for this organization. It's called Bellow McCree. And the uh, person who is the executive director is still there now. And his name is Bob Ireland, Dr. Robert T. Ireland. And through working under him, I really got just sort of my eyes opened about how the work world could be and about doing things that really have meaning in other people's lives. And so that was a huge influence on me. I was lucky enough to be there for 11 years. And it was after that that I went to to become uh, an executive director. 
And then uh, in my path, I had decided prior to getting there that I needed to, to go back to school. If I was going to, to run an organization, I really wanted to get some background on that. So that's when I enrolled in Cary. And um, my last course at Cary was the capstone. And I had a um, instructor for the capstone, uh, a guy by the name of Mike, Mike Loudon. And he had been teaching that for a little bit uh, of time at that time. And he said to me after the course, he said, you know, you could teach this. And, and I thought, there's no way. <laughs> <laughs> there is 100% no way. But it opened enough of a crack in that window that when um, I was asked if I wanted to write a case and, and to co-write a case. And I thought, well, I think I can do that. So I co-wrote um, a case with um, another colleague that I'd gotten to know through Carrie. And then after that, I was asked, well, can you co-teach the capstone? I thought, well, gosh, I don't know if I could do that, but at least I'll try. And at least if there's somebody else there, and if I fall flat on my face, there'll be somebody that at least can carry the ball. And a couple of weeks before the course was supposed to start, that person dropped out. And there I was. I felt like the emperor with no clothes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, now... I really have to learn it. And it was really, an, uh, to me, it was an eye-opener to that old adage that says, if you really want to know something, teach it. Yeah. And boy, I had my work cut out. And, and my students gave me a run for my money. And they were my great instructors because I had to keep up. And, um, and it, I was lucky enough that it went well. And they asked me to come back. And now I've been there for 16 or 17 years. So... I um I was that was a really pivotal part, but it would never have happened if Mike Loudon had a hadn't cracked that window and say, you know, you could teach this course. And even though I didn't believe him at the time, I th I did think about it, and and that's what prompted me to say yes. Well, Griff, I love that story. And one of the recurring themes that we have heard from some of the other guests that we've talked about is the power of mentors, mm -hmm. the role that mentors can play in terms of pushing you forward, and leading you to expand in ways that you never imagined possible. I remember reading Steve Jobs' biography by Walter Isaacson, where he talks about the reality distortion mm -hmm. and that limitation that we sometimes impose on ourselves in that moment where you say, oh, I don't know if I can. And having someone there to push you to say, yes, you can, and take you to that next level. I think that's very, very powerful. Griff, would you mind repeating the name of that organization that you mentioned? Sure. It's um, Actually, it's a Gaelic term. It's uh, two words. It's Bellow McCree, and the first is B-E-L-L-O, and the second word is McCree, M-A-C-H-R-E. And interestingly enough, that's a Gaelic term that means home of my heart. Oh, wow. We'll be posting that on our website, so thank you so much for sharing that. Sure. Uh, Griff, you touched on this a little bit earlier when we were talking about finding your life's passion and devoting the time to pursuing your passion and just doing it and being open and receptive. But what advice, in addition to that, do you have for someone who is struggling to find their passion in life? Mm -hmm. I, I would recommend a book by a Stanford professor by the name of Michael Ray. And the book is called Your Highest Goal. And he wrote that. I think he published it in about 2007. And Michael Ray is a uh, longtime professor at Stanford, actually teaches creativity and business, and has taught many, um, many of the iconic uh, Silicon Valley entrepreneurs. And he is a big believer in that ability to sort of quiet your mind and reflect and, and really meditate. He, um, 
he has a couple of exercises in that book that would really get anybody started. And one of them that I find very interesting, and I've used it in, in some of my courses at, courses at Hopkins, is um, a, a simple exercise that he calls the most meaningful thing. And what that really means is to re- sit for a quiet time and reflect on the most meaningful thing that one might have done over just the past week or maybe the past week or two. And then um, centering on that and then begin asking questions about why was that meaningful? What made that so meaningful? Why is that important to me? And essentially asking the why questions five times at least. And it's a wonderful way to essentially crack the window for someone who has not necessarily spent time doing that. But then it would naturally, I think, if you're serious about that, prompt you to, again, begin spending some disciplined time asking when you do things like that, um, that that seem to be the most meaningful. Where is it in your life that you completely lose track of time? Where is it in your life that time becomes meaningless? And again, those kinds of reflections will help you understand what has driven you. And he's got some wonderful exercises in there that do that. And they're, they're, again, they're not very uh, complicated, but they do require spending some disciplined time and going about that in a way that, uh, you know, allows you to touch with what it is that, that drives you and to spend some time with that. Well, Griff, thank you so much for sharing that. And that really is sort of the flip side of staying engaged, of just asking yourself those questions. And it makes perfect sense that that's where you would start out in terms of just finding your life's passion is just asking yourself those questions and really, really exercising that muscle, forcing yourself to explore within yourself. So I think that's a really, really important takeaway. Thank you so much for sharing that. Sure. Griff, what is next for you? We are at an interesting point in the organization, in, in, in our business. And what I have found myself, I haven't such an interesting uh, piece because I, I deal a lot with uh, private organizations, with um, entrepreneurs, with organizations that maybe are even beyond that, that might be you know, in that mid or higher level stage. They might be 75, 100 million or what have you. And so there's all these different stages that are fascinating to me. But we've been able to be in the private sector, in the nonprofit sector, and even in the community organizing sector. And so what I see next for uh, for us in the organization as well as me is to really be able to code some of the things that have seemed to be leadership lessons across sectors and even in different social um, uh, areas. So not and not just in in leadership but also in strategy and that. So really what I'm looking at is as we grow as a as an organization and and bring on some some of the partners that I've been fortunate enough to work with is to be able to code that in terms of a sequence or a um, almost a method, if you will. And, and not that it's a great secret, but often people need structure before they can find meaning. Sure. And sometimes we tend, to, we tend to say, in the entrepreneurial world, this is what works. And in the social sector, this is what works. Or even in the government sector, this is what works. And there are common denominators, but I find often the common denominators get very broad and somewhat opaque 
And I think it would be far better if we could uh, begin to start coding some of that. So that's that's what's next for us. Well, that sounds like quite an undertaking and one that will be of value to so many different organizations at all levels. Well, Griff, I have no doubt that you have made an impact on people listening to this podcast today. And there are probably many organization leaders who would love to reach out to you to talk to you about what you could do for them. But I imagine there are also maybe individuals who are struggling to find their passion and would love to make a connection with you. What is the best way that our listeners can make a connection with you? Well, uh, I'll, thank you for that, John. I, um, my email, you mentioned the, uh, the URL. We've got uh, essentially two. So my, I was lucky enough to get my, uh, my own name. So you can reach me at Griff with two Fs, uh, Griff at GriffHall.com. And um, or now lead on uh, the the website now lead on, and uh, you know somebody could also give me a call. I I don't mind my my phone number is all over our website sure. at, at which is also at griffhall dot com. If you, you want to share that, yeah, feel free. Sure, four one zero two seven nine six six three nine. Well, thank you so much, Griff. We'll be reposting all of this information on our website and Griff Hall has just shared with you his phone number, his contact information, and I challenge you, if you are a member of an organization that needs a push to take it to that next level, or if you're an individual who is struggling to find your passion, contact Mr. Griff Hall. Griff, thank you so much. As you know, the title of this show is Moving Forward and Discovering the Extraordinary, and we have done so today. And it was so wonderful to have you share a little bit of your extraordinary story with us today. So I thank you. Oh, John, my pleasure, and thank you. Well, folks, this has been Moving Forward, and if you like what you hear, support us. Please take the time to rate us, review us, subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. And again, Mr. Griff Hall, we will be posting all of your contact information on our website. So I encourage you, make a connection and reach out. Thank you so much, Griff, and have a great week. Thank you, John. Take care. Now it's time for you to move forward and discover the extraordinary in you. Moving Forward is produced by John Lim and BeMovingForward.com. All rights reserved.